go to thecognitiverampage.com. Keep viewing the change. Help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support. Love you. The Cognitive Rampage, a scientific approach to self-discovery, change, and life optimization, is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological sciences. It's not just motivational fluff and wordplay. Now, I do talk about my own story, so there's some kind of inspiration in there, but I'm not just spinning words and hyping you up with motivational fluff. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues, this book is for you. This book is not a cookie-cutter method of steps to follow. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. That way you assimilate it faster. It's not just copying my beliefs and telling you step one, step two. These will come from your beliefs as how you extend and build the foundation upon this framework. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life, through every change, and through every age. These are not empty words of motivational spin. This book is an experience. The Cognitive Rampage is based in science and is built from your beliefs. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. I know you are. It's been a good day. been a good week. been a tough week, to be honest with you. I've been working a lot on new projects focused on probably too many things i guess (laughs) it's uh probably only necessary that i talk about the hero's journey tonight not that i'm a hero but at least the first part about the hero's journey uh, accepting the challenge there but before i get into that i just talk a little bit about what's going on over here it's been uh been uh kind of weird since uh patricia and i moved over here to the beach it's been fun. I find it amazing sometimes that you can think about what something will be once you just get there and how certain things change, you know, and there's no magic place, if you will, uh, that uh, you can l- lead your life. Some people believe that, hey, and some people are that, right? They're living in that place, you know. I used to say, find where you want to live, move there, and then, <laughs> and then find work. But, you know, talking about work, when I look back on uh, a lot of my life, and what I've chose to do or not chosen to do. I often uh, use the example that I feel like Forrest Gump, right? Because let's just face it, in, in today's world, you know, there's a different variation of the hero, right? There's not necessarily this uh, battle to to be involved in, right? I, I like to often picture as a Native American what that would be like defending things. Now, I'm sure some people could argue that there's, you know, wars going on against this or that, but I just mean where that, that battle comes into play, right? That gladiator journey, right? Uh, maybe to, to quote Jimmy Buffett, a, a pirate born way too late, something like that. So for me, the jobs that I take, if you will, be that a job that I'm doing, a company I open, a uh, idea I choose to chase, these have been my adventures. These have been my tales, if you will. And and in today's world, it's hard to find that adventure, if you will. Now, you can, you know, quit your job, go vagabonding. There's a million different ways. I'm sure, you know, people could uh, retort what I'm saying by saying, oh, you can find adventure this way or that way. But for the most part, you're not going to be slaying a dragon or fighting in a gladiator 
pit. Now you might, if you're a fighter, right? If you're an MMA fighter or uh, any kind of uh, martial artist, you may be able to link that direct type of feeling to what you're doing. And I, I don't think it's any coincidence that the rise of MMA, if you will, is somewhat uh, accounting for that idea that the there's this lack of the journey, right? That's where I know a lot of men and women find it in sports and find that journey. But then when that journey's over, the defining of who we are then follows that, right? So, you know, I've, I've looked at each endeavor I've taken under, and I'm, I'll tell you what, I've, I've thought about writing, uh, you know, whether I'm writing Athletes Depression, but writing another book almost about the adventures of, you know, my entrepreneurship, uh, different jobs, different, uh, even, I mean, and I do mean that at different jobs. I, I clocked in once in a while and uh, spent even as a therapist, right? I remember getting the job as a therapist and them having to show me how to clock in because I was like, I, I've never done that before. <laughs> Right, so I mean, each job that I, that we can take under, each idea that you have or want to try, right? These can easily be your adventures, the the stories you tell. That's what I found so fascinating about Forrest Gump, right? Is he's telling his story, if you will, and he's he's had these amazing experiences for the most part by what he chose to signed up, what, what he signed up to do, right? And most of those offers to to Forrest along that way. He didn't really have anything to do with. Somebody needed help. Uh, a opportunity arose. He happened to be in one place at a certain time, and it followed there. And that journey takes him, you know, from from college to a shrimp boat to, I mean, all the different places that he sees to being a, a long-distance runner even and, uh, and an investor in Apple right at the end. Uh, if I have to give you a warning about a uh, plot spoil there with Forrest Gump, you're a little behind the time, so... Yeah, no, no spoiler alert coming for that one. But, you know, for me, I've often looked at it that way. And a lot of times it's hard, you know, and, and this week especially has been tough on one in particular endeavor that uh, I've, I've been on for a little while now, something I thought I'd never do. And being involved with that, it gets tough, you know, and uh, Patricia and I were talking about, uh, I think, books or something, and, and it led to Joseph Campbell. We were watching something and uh, mentioned uh, his book from a while ago. We, Her and I talk a lot about Carl Jung. Jung as well to say it right uh freud all these things we throw around sometimes and you know i brought up the hero's journey i just looked it up for a little bit i thought man you know that's right i mentioned it in my book you know when i talk about uh when i'm talking to you basically as the listener or the reader is to live your epic journey because that's what it is right and, and how we tell our story the narrative of how we tell our story matters so much and the fact that we can control how we tell that story. I did a mental dose video not long ago about no excuses, right? To turn our excuses into reasons. Uh, I've done videos about the AU or the BU. I'm not going to do that now. You can look that up, right? But the things that we go through, those trials, those things that we could easily use as excuses about why we can't do something or haven't finished something or tried something can easily be the reasons why we have to, why we are able to. It's easy to turn that story. And so, you know, in my book, I, I ask you, I open up talking about the narrative of your life. What story do you tell if I gave you a microphone right now or I was interviewing you here on the Cognitive Rampage podcast? How would you tell that story, right? Would it sound like the epic hero journey or would it sound like some drama on Lifetime? You know, because, uh, well, Lifetime's losing viewership. So more than likely, most of us don't want to hear it, right? I mean, do we even want to hear it if we begin to complain? I shared a article recently on my uh, on the Facebook page there about how complaining day-to-day -day actually affects the brain structure and how it functions 
So, you know, in the book, and when I ask you, what is your story? What's your narrative? And if I can get you to grasp on for a moment that there is no truth, that the truth that we create, now I'm not talking about whether something is a stake or something is hard or something is this, right? I mean, these are some obvious things, but at least physics could even argue that, right? I'm just talking about what you perceive your life to be. You know, if I can get you to question that truth, that story you've been telling, and a lot of us, you've been telling our story a long time, right? You meet somebody, hi, how are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Here comes the whole story, right? And how do we tell that story? And how do you tell you your story? Is is it repeated? Is it, does it come across as this terrible battle of yours, right? You may know some people each day that you meet, and they walk by, oh, just another day in life. You know, I'm like, shit, man. You know, how's your narrative go for the rest of it, right? But how we tell our story matters. And Joseph Campbell is, uh, I probably, it's hard to say my favorite author, right? But somebody I love to read. Um, it's just worth reading his stuff, Carl Jung being that same thing, right? So how we tell our story matters, right? And so I wanted to cover Joseph Campbell's, now I'm calling it the 17 stages of the hero's journey. Many times you'll see people, uh, Hollywood, etc. they move this to the 12 stages or 12 steps, but uh, let's just say I didn't like 12 steps, right? Okay, so I didn't like the shortening of it. You know, short shortening of certain things that loses certain uh, bridges or certain uh, connections or transitions, right? Certain segues, if you will, of how that happens. So when cutting it down to 12 may be easier, and a lot of us, you know, have an attention span of a gnat nowadays and can't focus. But uh, I said that to my mother the other day. <laughs> she actually mentioned that her attention span wasn't that long. And I said, yeah, we all have attention spans of gnats. But she did come back and say, uh, they are some pretty persistent little buggers, aren't they? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, Mom, they are. They're pretty persistent. So uh, if you have the attention span of a gnat, at least you're probably pretty persistent with trying to listen, right? As I continue to get long-winded and tangential on these podcasts, which I do. So let's walk in. But before, before again, before I walk in to the journey, the hero's journey, I want you, if you can, to participate in this with me, right? As I read through this a while, I started thinking of my own life. And that's what I'd like you to do now. I mean, I referenced Forrest Gump here at the beginning and a lot of videos that are out there that you can find about the hero's journey. They connect them to movies, Star Wars being one of the most famous. Uh, you could go on to The Matrix and Harry Potter, right? You could go down and down, down the rabbit hole, if you will. I mean, even Alice in Wonderland to a point, right? Heck, the movie I have on behind me, if you're watching that, is V for Vendetta, one of my favorite classic movies, right? That he has his own hero story, as they both do there. So I want you to think about your own life as we walk through these steps for me. I, whether it's the life you're leading now, perhaps an, an adventure you've been on, and a misconception, too, before we get into this hero's journey, is people believe it's this one-time thing, that we experience it once, and that's it. And that's not true. I mean, Joseph Campbell uh, wrote it to be a cyclic adventure, or it's a cycle that repeats itself, right? This is why you see multiple Star Wars, multiple Matrix. I mean, pick a hero, right? Pick any hero that's out there. There's always one, two, three, four, uh, and they end up making way too many if it's really good and ruining the whole thing most of the time, right? So it's this continued epic adventure, right? I mean, we could go all the way back to where this really started from, if you want to say that, which was Homer's The Odyssey, right? The Iliad and the Odyssey. I remember <laughs> I remember being almost forced in ninth grade English class. I still remember you, Miss Calmese. Uh, that's right when the OJ trial was going on too, by the way. 
And sitting in that classroom, we had to go and, and read this book. And although the first book I read in fourth grade was Lord of the Flies, which perhaps could explain a lot that's wrong with me mentally, possibly. But I found the Homer's Odyssey to be captivating. I, I found it to be a, a wonderful story. And so many uh, hero movies have been ripped off of this, if if you will. You know, he's it opens up. Now, a lot of people also forget that uh, Odysseus, who's the main character in Homer's The Odyssey, he was actually the mind that came up with the Trojan horse on how to use that Trojan horse to get in. If uh, you don't know what that is, uh, look that up. Look it up, the Trojan horse, and how he built this big old statue. All the men piled in. They gave up a trophy, basically. The other side's like, oh, my God, they quit. They built us something. All right. They all partied. They got drunk, laid out, and all the soldiers climbed out of the Trojan horse because they couldn't get over the, the walls, right? So Odysseus was actually the man that thought of that, if you will. Now, English history, Greek history, a lot of these things, <laughs> wishy-washy, right? But the myth itself is is the part that I want you to, to, to know. And I, I didn't know, actually, for a while that Odysseus was actually that same person. I found it to be kind of cool. And now, something you didn't know, right? we got to learn something every day. So as we walk into the first step of the 17 stages from Joseph Campbell on the hero's journey is I want you honestly to imagine your own life. It can be fun. It can be adventurous even, right? And it can be difficult if you're honest with yourself. And uh, I'll probably cover some subjective notions that can that can lay here, come in and out, what they can apply to. But that's the fun part of it, if you will, is where we can choose to apply it in our lives, what it means. A lot of the a lot of the things he talks about don't have to be exactly what they say they are, especially the women part when I get there. OK, so just hold the emails, <laughs> if you will. So. Imagine your own life. Even write it down. Sometimes it's fun to write it down. When we write something down, we see it uh, begins to embed into our lives, too. That's why I'm a, a huge proponent of writing down uh, what you want to do or become or what you want, these things, um, just so you can see it, right? I mean, I had to do that just to learn my notes to pass class. But the first stages, right? I mean, we've all seen that movie. It's They were just an ordinary couple. He was just an ordinary guy. Right? It opens that way. The hero starts out in the ordinary world. And it somehow gets the call, if you will. Um, I guess it's hard not to use the movies, right? Like the white rabbit that Neo chooses to follow. You know, Patricia said it when we were driving here. is to ask you all, what was your right, white rabbit? What was your call? What was something that happened to you, right? Many people talk about this idea as I felt the call, if you will, the call to adventure. Our ordinary world of sorts uh, has bored us. Or, you know, a lot of people, they may get a call, but instead... What we do and what we choose to do, a lot of times people could argue that there is no free will. I know Sam Harris walks down, there is no free will, but possibly for, for going this argument here. But the idea that, you know, we are taught what we're supposed to do almost indirectly by the culture that we live in, by our parents, you know, even where we live. These are the things that kind of shape us and make us believe what we have to do, what we should do. And a lot of times, it's done to play it safe. I mean, let's face it, in today's world, it's, it can be scary, right? Not not having health insurance or not having a guaranteed paycheck of where that comes from. Have some kids and double down on that fear, right? And so much our fear holds us back. And possibly, you know, this could be why so many people, you know, lose it. Why living... Now, mind you, the safety itself, the security itself is also an illusion. Uh, I mean, when the recession hit last time, people that worked there 25 years, 30 years for certain companies, they had the highest pay. You were the first to get cut. And that 
well, that safety you thought you had, well, that illusion was brought to light and all of a sudden was reality. So, I mean, is there real safety anyway in whatever we believe is secure? You know, for me, I like the short-term pain, long-term pain, try it. You know, Patricia talks about it too, but I like to say try it, right? Short-term pain, if you try it and you fail, it hurt for a little bit, right? But now you know. Long-term pain is not trying anything and then waking up 20, 30 years later going, what could have been if I just would have, if I just could have, what might have been? I'd much rather know that it wasn't or I failed at it rather than asking myself my whole life what could have been. So that first step is, well, to get the call. To get the call. What that call means to you could be anything. Maybe it's a dream you had. Maybe it's a feeling you believe you felt by thinking something. Maybe you witnessed something and whatever you witnessed well moved you to do something. So many people were the victims of things that decide uh, or even just witness something like that that causes a victim or a perpetrator and they can't take it and they go at it. You know, f- for me personally, which is all I can talk about, when I you know, became a mental health counselor, I, I wanted to help everybody and get in it. And after a while, I saw that the system was not set up to help. I mean, great. We can say, sit here and say, hey, at least there's something. Yeah, sometimes nothing would have been better than what the something was being offered. And for me, you know, I, I got the call that something had to change. I was losing it on the inside, to be honest with you. Uh, I was, it was hard for me just to go to work and come home every day and think that I was helping people. I couldn't lie to myself and, you know, started the, the podcast for a while, uh, hence the cognitive rampage because I was, I was angry. I was thinking how angry I was and wound up on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is insane how I got on that. I mean, I'm, I was nobody special. No books were out. It just kind of time faded, became serendipitous. And I wound up on this crazy, crazy well-known podcast. And I seized that opportunity to say the truth and to talk about what was really happening. And I cut a lot of flack for it. And I've said it before. I was fired from both of my mental health counseling jobs before I even left L.A. because of what I said. But for me, somebody had to say something. And my, my call was witnessing people dying. My call was watching people coming for help, and I couldn't help them. The system that was there couldn't help them. What was your call? Or what is your call? Maybe you feel like you're trapped in this ordinary world, and maybe you're avoiding a call to come do something because maybe it just doesn't pan out on the balance sheet. It just doesn't bring in the money. Right. And at the time, look, I, I had just gotten married. I, I was taking taking care of uh, Morgan, who had uh, just about adopted. Not the time you take the chance. Right. And, and burn your career down, especially a career that you put 100 G's into. Right. But I had to and somebody needed to. And it still cost me. And perhaps I'm still trapped somewhere uh, in stage six of this whole thing. But uh, maybe we don't know. Right. Maybe that's already passed and something new has started. But in your life. What has been your call to adventure? And I don't mean the weekend warrior adventure. Perhaps that's why also we see the rise of that. We see the rise of this midlife crisis, even though a lot of research suggests that this isn't even true. It's not even a thing. But I've met that, and I'm, shit, I'm approaching that age myself. And I know those feelings, at least those thoughts that I have. And maybe we see the rise of that because we're called to this ordinary life of what we're supposed to do, what's safe or the illusion of, and we wind up there. We, we wind up in some place we thought we were doing what we wanted to and we're truly not living our authentic life or had followed those calls. Maybe you've gotten calls. Maybe you hear a lot of people, that, uh, and myself included, that talk back about a 
you know, an opportunity or a call they have, but they just didn't do it. They just didn't give it a shot or they couldn't, right? They make those excuses or I made those excuses. They could have been my reasons I had to do something that I didn't, right? So, I mean, what is your call essentially, right? Throughout our own lives, we see that it's necessary to answer the call to improve ourselves, you know, to get involved in something, to start something new, to try something, uh, or maybe fight against something, something of that nature possibly, right? So, um, well, people can hear but not see. I'm getting interrupted there. That's odd that you can't see me. I see myself. Hope you all see me. It's transferring here. Everybody see and hear all right? Hey, Patricia, how are we looking? Yeah, all right. Sorry you can't see me there, Guy Lang. It's probably better you can. There's nothing worth looking at anyway, my friend. <laughs> so I uh, want to make sure everything's going good. Everything sounds good. Sorry for that little interruption as we're starting to starting to flow a little bit. What's up, Ronye? What's up, Philip, Amy, Danielle, Tracy, Tim, Brian, Valerie, uh, Angie, what's going on? Zach Rhodes, how are you? Sabu, the poet man himself. Lynn, what's going on with you? Nicole, welcome. First in. Want to take... Uh, Take that time just to say what's up to everybody that's, uh, well, tunes in a lot, actually. I know those names a lot. So that call, did you follow it? Did you chase that white rabbit, per se? Did you, I don't know, fight against the injustice you saw? Did you follow that thing that you just have thought about and felt inside that you just always should do or wanted to do or something? Did you follow that call or did we rationalize it away? Are you getting that call right now? Is there something that's pulling you to do something to help somebody, to help yourself in some way, to have an experience, to take that adventure? Are we afraid? Because look, that first step can be the hardest, right? That's another cliche we hear. The first step of the journey is the hardest, right? Taking that step toward the adventure or following that call that you get. You know, do you follow the rabbit? Do you go down the hole? Do you see what happens? Do you take that chance? And if so, what was your call back then or what is the call now? Whether you have one, I, I would bet to say that you do. Stage two is refusal of the call. The hero may refuse to pay attention to the call because of the fear and difference from insecurity or from a sense of inadequacy. Sometimes we feel like we just can't do it. There's so many times where I wanted to start something new, but someone would say, oh, you don't know anything about that. Oh, you've never done that before. Or you don't have a, any money investor to back that idea or that's just not going to work or someone's already doing that idea somebody's doing it bigger already there's tons of reasons that we refuse the call or even people around us tell us maybe even indirectly tell us oh you you have a family now you can't follow that call you come last perhaps is something you believe when I do ask you if your child came to you and told you, hey, I have this opportunity, but I'm risking it all, would you tell your child, no, play it safe and stay where you are? Or would you encourage them to live their life, to take their adventure? See, a lot of times what we'll tell our children is, well, our wisdom and our truth, but we don't give ourselves that same reward by following our own wisdom. Yet, uh, do as I say, not as I do, if you will. So, Stage two is refusal of the call. We don't take it. it could, it's too difficult. It takes work. I'm not sure I can do that. And all the other excuses I made before. Refusal of the call. This is where we set up that long-term pain. And in your life, is there a recent call that you have refused? Or a recent following, perhaps, that you felt you should have went down? Is that path still open? 
Is that bunny still around? Is that white rabbit still around saying, chase me? Perhaps it still is, and if not, maybe if we look for it, we could find that call again. Or maybe we refused the call to begin with, and that's just part of our journey, and the call comes later in life once we've learned more, once we've maybe met a mentor or have some sort of awareness breakthrough moment of some kind, right? Perhaps some supernatural aid. This would be step three of Joseph Campbell's stages of a hero's journey is the supernatural aid, right? I mean, Cinderella had the fairy godmother, right? You can go all down it, but in your life, that supernatural aid, I think, can be many things. It can be a psychedelic experience that you had. It can be maybe uh, you're religious, and it can be prayer for you or uh, some intervention. A lot of times, uh, I think, a supernatural aid, if you will, can uh, also come from what we witness. We witness something, and energies happen when we witness something, be that negative or something powerful, and that can have an effect on us, right? And you can't see it, right? I mean, how can we witness something that happens, and then we don't can continually witness that happening but it still has an effect on us time and time again you can't study what you witnessed perhaps you could recreate it in some way but it continues to have effect on you the next day the next week the next year right it affects us maybe it's just something that we just can't see or study yet that supernatural aid and many times it comes back to us right in this hero's adventure comes back to us so for you what might be your supernatural aid something you witnessed or Maybe something you allowed yourself to think and then open up to feel. Like for me, look, I, I I don't know if I've said it much on this podcast, but I can tell you this, that two days before I wound up on Joe Rogan's experience, I was in the Joshua Tree Reserve. I was in that state park, and I was on a ton of mushrooms. <laughs> I was running around the desert. I was climbing over some rocks, and I had eaten a, a decent amount of mushrooms, and Let's just say I I had visions, if you will. I had this thing, and what I found odd at the end of that, uh, if you will, I I seem to always get some sort of message or at least perceive one when I have that experience. And at the time, I wasn't even doing the Cognitive Rampage podcast. I had done a few for a couple months on Ustream, if you remember that app, but it wasn't a thing I was doing. I was caught in toil of, can I continue to do this? I'm going to get fired if people see it, that kind of thing. And what came to me at the end of that psychedelic experience was the line, when you're on the microphone, say it loud. When you're around your friends, take it easy. And at the time, I was being so boisterous. I was so upset about the things I had been seeing and the injustices being done in addiction treatment and what was being told and the curbed research and the pharmaceutical companies, all of this. When I saw it, I I, I was in a rampage. I truly was. And I was not the person you wanted at your barbecue. I just wasn't. I, do you know where that meat came from? Let me tell you exactly how. Do you, let me tell you about these sludge slimes that are kind of, these sludge rivers that are coming from this factory farm. I was that guy, and I would continue and go. Not somebody you wanted to hang out with. It was terrible, and I guess it was letting me know when you're around your friends, take it easy. And I thought to myself when that came to me, call it a supernatural aid if you want to. Uh, I'm going to call it psychedelic aid if you will, but. It said, when you're on the mic, say it loud. I had no clue what mic they were talking about. I didn't know anything. Heck, I didn't even have a microphone when I was doing this Cognitive Rampage in 2015, in early 2015. I was just yelling at a laptop camera. Hopefully it was talking, hopefully it was picking up how loud I was talking. So I hadn't even been in front of a microphone. And many people don't even know the very first podcast I had ever done, ever done, 
was walking into Joe Rogan Experience podcast. I didn't even know they were live. I thought we were going to walk in and hang out for a minute. He was already live with Nick DiPaolo. I walk in going, oh my God, we're live currently right now. Grab the mic, sit down. You've never done a podcast before, the microphone or anything. Hi, welcome to Joe Rogan Experience podcast. And I'm off, right? I mean, actually, I did say it on Joe Rogan. When I was looking back on, I, I, man, how did the, how they know? How the must? What was the messages with the mustard? How you know? I was I was freaking out. So for me, perhaps that was some sort of supernatural aid, right in the middle of that. I mean, I write my book even when I broke away from the nightclub business that I was in, and things were going normal, and I'm sitting in my living room. And I don't know what happened. I, I just some something happened. I started thinking. I started reflecting. I went back. I went to some, I guess, the cognitive rampage, pre-cognitive rampage, and was questioning everything that I thought was reality, that I thought is what I needed or what I wanted. In uh, 16 hours, I wrote in my book. It was probably longer than that. I cried. I prayed. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I lost it for 16 hours, and then I went away for a while and walked away from all of that and just disappeared. I mean, call that a supernatural aid, if you will. So in your life, remember, again, this is cyclic too. This is not just this one adventure you go on and it's over, right? So there's an adventure waiting for you now. There's probably a calling right there. And you may be refusing that call right now. Or maybe you have taken on the call and you've you know, moved to some sort of move through the supernatural aid or whatever that may be for you, right? It can be miracles. It can be coincidences where sometimes you save from a disaster seemingly miraculously, right? People get shot at or shot and live. They get stabbed and live. They survive a uh, cancer. They survive car accidents, right? Again, these are a supernatural aid of some sort. At least we believe that. It's, uh, many of us do, right? And some would argue it's just chance. Right, but once we take that on, we move into stage for the crossing of the first threshold. This is the point where the person actually crosses into the field of adventure, leaving the known limits of his or her world and venturing into an unknown and dangerous realm where there aren't any rules and no limits, at least no rules and limits that we know. You know, beyond the guardian, if you will, right? We go into the darkness, the unknown danger, just beyond the parental watch, if you will. Right, just out of range. If you're a parent and that child gets right out of your range, what's that alarm you feel real quickly, right? Well, that's the adventure calling that young one of yours, right? But you cross the threshold in stage four here. You cross the threshold when you go off to follow it. When you quit your job, maybe, right? For some people, when you get married, maybe when you get divorced, you join the services, right? You go to another country. You you make that big jump, right? That leap. You cross the first threshold, that first one. We've moved on, crossed into that first threshold, right? The scary part, because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're going to see, what we're going to experience, right? And for me, in the jobs, it's done that for me, or the, the business ideas, or following those things, crossing that threshold, letting go of the other place, moving into this idea, letting go of the good income coming from something else, and then starting something with absolutely no income. Right, crossing that first threshold and making that jump. I believe in the Matrix, right? Theo asks him to walk across, and there's nothing there. Just trust him, and he doesn't, and he gets picked up by the agents. And I mean, there's so many where we may fail and fail to cross that first threshold, or we refuse that call. But eventually, if we listen, we can get the courage to face those fears, to cross that first threshold. I talk about uncomfortable is where the change is, right? Walking through with, man, that's, I just haven't felt like myself lately. This feels weird. It feels different. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. 
That's that odd moment, that new moment, and uncomfortable is where we change. Crossing that first threshold moves us into Joseph Campbell's fifth stage, or the belly of the whale. It's a common theme that does not only appear in the Bible, but many cultures as well. You know, bringing up the Bible, I wanted to bring up Jesus and his walk, if you know it. A lot of people probably just clicked off, don't want to listen to it. But whether you look at it metaphorically even, it's still powerful in the walk that he took. Perhaps maybe real or not, it's just a decent story to tell you how to live a decent life and be a decent person, right? That even decent people, at the end of it, no matter how hard you are, that even decent people may have to sacrifice in the end of this and may be treated unfairly, if you will, throughout it, no matter how good you are. And being in that belly of the whale allows you that, right? By entering this stage, it shows you the willingness to undergo the metamorphosis, the change, that uncomfortability. This is where that metamorphosis begins, right? I mean, Jonah and the whale, where we're pulling from, right? He's in the belly, right? The change from that, when you're in it, I mean, when you're sitting in that change, in that metamorphosis, that, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable, I'm scared, this is when the fear is kind of built up and you're really maybe seeing it for the first time, maybe not the scariest time, but it's the first time, but allowing that transition to happen to you, to just fall into that fear. It took me about, I don't know, a good couple minutes to just fall into the fear of being on the microphone next to Joe Rogan and Nick DiPaolo, two both guys, I'm fans of both of these gentlemen, and at the time, uh, Rogan was uh, an entrepreneur, a pioneer to me, and so I'm just all of a sudden trying to ignore some fandom at the same time, trying to follow something at the same time, meanwhile, I'm, holy shit, I'm shaking like crazy, right, if you watch, go back and watch episode 643, my voice is cracking, I mean, I, I was just all over the place, and reeled it in somewhat, right? But then began my road of trials, or stage six. What about your life, right? That metamorphosis, do you remember when you followed the call, had some sort of aid, crossed that first threshold, and found yourself sitting in that metamorphosis? I mean, uh, to be frank with you, I live transparent here. When I walked away from my marriage, and I left, and I'm sitting in what I call the hotel, living there for a while, let me tell you, Things got crazy. Things got dark in my mind. It was difficult. I was sitting in that belly of the whale, if you will. And it was rough for me trying to pull myself back to normalcy. I was still doing podcasts then. You can watch some. I don't remember the episodes there, but uh, you see him sitting in a little, I'm in a little hotel. The studio's no longer behind me. And I still felt that calling to continue to talk, you know, to continue to talk about what I was experiencing, what I've learned, and share my life transparently. And in that belly of the whale or in that whole tail that I was sitting in uh, for a month or so, being there felt like the belly of a whale and then began my road of trials, if you will. you know. And, and in your life, can you remember sitting in the belly of the whale? Can you remember when you first jumped that threshold? It can be scary, but sometimes if you've conquered that, you're able to look back at it. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself like I typically do. But back to our journey, right? The road of trials begins once the hero accepts the call. Once you accept the call, you must face tasks in trial after trial. The road of trials, if you will, right? Hence the stage. You may have to face them alone. You may even have assistance. There's so many different ways to defeat these trials. Sometimes we have tools. Sometimes there's some wisdom somebody gave us along the way. But the road of trials, it's a series of tests, tasks. You know, my mom would tell me, hey, whatever job you ever had once, whether it's what you want to do or the dream you want to get to, do it the best you can and focus on it because more than likely, I'm promising you, whatever you're doing is preparing you for what's to come. 
And mama, you've been right. And so many times I can't even pick what's coming up next in my life to where I'm doing this for now. I meet old friends like uh, my brother Vaughn, who you know did security in uh, clubs I was working back in the day uh, and hadn't seen him in a long time. And now he's doing something else with me up here. You know, you see him again. He's like, brother, how did you get into this? How are you doing this? You know, and I thought, man. I hadn't really looked at it that way. You know, the series of uh, taking on certain calls or following those passionate ideas. And let me, don't get this twisted either. So many people talk about quitting your job, following your dreams as this sounds too, going out there. It's not as pretty as it sounds. It's not as pretty as it sounds because sometimes you got to learn to go without money, without food, without health insurance. Fear starts racking up in your brain. You're not sure what you're going to have to do next or where this is going to come from. That fear, that, that dragon, if you will, those dragons that are to be slain during this road of trials. So don't think in your head. You know, that's why people, a lot of people don't cross the threshold. They don't follow that call. They deny the call because so many things are just too scary. Well, you know, Adam, today's world we live in, you got to have this. You got to have this. You need to be able to pay for this. This is what you're supposed to do. And that's why in my book, I tell you question, question that's supposed to do shit. But what you're supposed to, who told you that? Who said that to you that this is what you're supposed to? Oh, it's me. I feel it in my heart. This is what good men do. This is what good men, women do. Well, someone told you that. You watched someone live that way. Then you defined it as being that. And you're, you may look back and go, well, I followed what everyone said I should. I mean, I can pull the story uh, of the prodigal son from the Bible even, right? The one, the older brother stays home, does everything father asked him to do, didn't go out, saved his money, did everything he was supposed to do while the prodigal son went out there and spent everything. Every bit of inheritance laid with all the worst things you could lay with found himself laying with pigs by the end of it covered in mud decides to return home but yet he's embraced by his father as he returns home while the other brother sits pissed off he's left outside of the party right i mean we're pulling from religion there from from scripture if you want to so that road of trials, look at the road of trials that Jesus faces, right? I'm telling you, just look at it metaphorically. Look at the trials pull from any movie, right? From what they face from behind me in V for Vendetta, what they go through in any of those movies, the trials that they overcome, the tests. Some, we fail at many of these tests, right? These are these series, right? I mean, when we face this, this is, if you will, when we're facing our demons, we're facing our dragons. They must be slain, right? We have to overcome barriers to surpass. And it seems like it never stops. It goes on and on. So many people get caught up in, and what's next? What else are you going to do on this Monday or Friday, right? What else is coming, right? We have to move from that, take the next trial on, almost begin to look at that trial in our lives as going, hey, I know this is teaching me something. This is getting me ready for something. This is the trial. I'm getting something out of this. You know, I argue on to so many people that there's no such thing as trauma. There's no such thing as a bad thing happening to you because we learn from those traumas. We learn from those bad things that happen to us. How dare you question and call that wisdom the shittiest time of your life? This is where we pull it from. This is where we get it from. Our wisdom comes from the trials. Without tests, we don't know the mind. We don't know self without the test, right? This is something we try to feed into, that we need to feed into. But what most people would tell you, avoid the trials and tribulations. Do what you're supposed to do. Save your money. Get the job. Get. You never know. This could happen. Don't talk to an insurance salesman about this stuff. My God, everything could happen possibly. You need to buy every one of their products, right? So think about the road of trials of your life today right think about any period of your life as we're talking about these stages where maybe you missed the call or you didn't follow the call perhaps there's one calling now or when you did follow that call to adventure when you 
didn't refuse it, when you accepted the aid, when you crossed that threshold, think about that time of your life. Did you feel like you were living then, like you were following purpose, like perhaps destiny was a part of what you were doing? Do you feel that now? Do you feel that now in your life? Are you searching for that call? Or is that call coming just too scary? Or are those fears and are those dragons or those demons holding you back from what you want to do or what you want to become? Are you ready to shed that old life, that old narrative that we say all the time? During these road of trials, many times Campbell talks about meeting the goddess. This is the point when the person experiences an unconditional love that a fortunate infant may experience from his or her mother. This is a very important step in the process. It's often represented by a person finding another person that he or she loves most completely. How many times do we see it in the stories, the movies we watch that we hear? The person's walking around, they meet the perfect person, they feel fulfilled, they understand what it's like to love somebody or to be loved. In my case, when Patricia came around, I felt what it was like to really be loved. And I didn't know how to love back. I thought I did. I'm still learning that now. I didn't believe someone could love me like that, to be honest with you. And maybe that's happened in your life. Or maybe you thought yourself love someone like that. Because you may be in step eight, which is, I'm going to say the women, woman and the man as a temptress in stage eight, okay? So meeting the god or the goddess, right? We'll just use both to... Be politically correct. Hopefully I don't get too many emails for doing that, so I'm trying to change it up completely, right? So in your life, maybe when you were going through those trials, those tribulations, did you meet somebody that loved you anyway? Doesn't mean you have to stay with them now. I can. I remember this gentleman that was talking uh, to Patricia and I uh, one night at a bar. My mom actually was there too. She'd come up to hang out in New Smyrna, and this guy was just talking about how she had to be the one. He stayed with her because she was there when no one else was, as if he owed her something beyond that support during that journey. Because there's other journeys to come, and we may stay with what we believe this person is the goddess, right? And really, is maybe been something else. Maybe the woman or the man is a temptress. In stage eight, this step is out of the temptations that may lead the hero to abandon or stray from his or her quest. And this doesn't have to be a man or a woman either. It can simply be a metaphor for physical or material temptations in life. You know, uh, look at Jesus, right? And according to that story, Satan takes him to the top of the mountain and says, look at all this. You could have all of this. Pick it. You could be anything. Take anything you want, just uh, don't do that anymore and just say this. Just just call me the shit and you get all the shit. And since the refusal of that, so many times we confuse that meeting with the god or goddess or that golden thing that's in front of us that loves us or we feel like we love more than anything and we confuse that with stage eight where it's simply just tempting us to be off of our path. Safety tempts us to be off of our path. Safety can do that to us. Security, stress, fear. These also I see as temptress. I see them as tempting because they tempt you to veer away the bill that's coming in. That illness that may happen in your life. That retirement that you may not have. What may be tempting you? Many times it's the fear that tempts us. Not this beautiful woman or beautiful man saying, this way, this way, mm, sometimes it is. Don't get it twisted. Many times that is. Pulls you off your path. You may have had a quest that you wanted to be on, and next thing you know, you're married and have two kids, and you never quite got to do that thing. I think that's the beauty of the hero's journey, is that it can return when we heed the call, and we follow through with these steps, and we don't refuse the call, and we don't get tempted away from it, right? 
when we stay focused on what it is again think about your own life were you on a path were you on this charge this epic adventure were you creating this and then fear struck maybe the deal didn't go through that you needed to move you to that next stage and that was all you needed to rationalize why you couldn't do something maybe you fell in love and maybe what who you fell in love with said no we don't do that this is how we're going to live that's on you, by the way, not the temptress. And I would argue that they may not love you as much as you think you do if they're pulling you away from your adventure, from your quest, from your task, from your journey that you're on. I would probably tell you they probably don't. If someone's urging you on that journey, doesn't throw the supposed to's at you, well, this is what we're supposed to do because we did this. Someone that tells you you're supposed to live this way or this is what you do now because you made this commitment to me. I would call this a temptress, something possibly pulling you away from your adventure. Moving from step eight, if you've not been tempted and not pulled from your path, and many times we are, that's the beautiful part about this epic journey, is that all of this happens to us. That we do meet love possibly along the way, right? Or we lose love along the way, or something tempts us off the path, and we go off the path a while. Um... In, in the Iliad, um, Odysseus and his men had to hang out with the Cyclops much longer than they wanted to. They had to spend a lot of time there. Then when the mermaids came around, he just kept waiting and biding his time and procrastinating because he liked where he was at. It was comfortable. It was fun. Or they were on, well, some substances at the time, right? They were enjoying that life. Perhaps what you, you may even be enjoying your life, right? And may have been on that adventure journey, got pulled off to the side, got married, had kid, had to do something else. And maybe the temptress is the job that's pulling you away from what you wanted to do now because you think you have to do it. Well, that's the beautiful part about the journey is it's not over. Is it can come back, we can wake up from that tempting thing or tempting person or tempt tempting way of life we've gotten used to we can wake up from that we can change that we can start back over go through that metamorphosis back through the belly of the whale right we can leave that tempting place that we're in we can leave that by then once again crossing the threshold again the quest is not over just because we can continue with that journey if we choose to i think this one or perhaps it does happen with us Stage nine is atonement with the parent. In this step, the person must confront and be initiated by whatever holds the ultimate power over his or her life. In many myths, stories, it is the father, a father figure who has life or death power. But for many of us, it's our parents we never met. Or your parents that passed. We make atonement with whatever is controlling us however that atonement is reached is on you but we do away with that being able to control us or being what drives us even we move away from that the atonement with your trauma the atonement with your ex-husband with your ex-wife the atonement of whatever may control you maybe the maybe even the atonement with your bank account of what it is now or what it used to be making atonement with that is how we also move on how we find closure with that How do we move beyond that? Once that begins to happen, a lot of times, if we've crossed the threshold, we've fallen in love, we've made atonement, we feel like our own person. Many times, we can move to a stage, or stage 10 is the rank of a god. The hero is treated almost divinely. 
The audience having being led to identify with the hero experiences the brink of death feeling with the hero and then is relieved by the hero's return. You've been tempted to the side, to the left, but here you are, you're back, you're back on top, you've come back from it. You're winning again. But a lot of times, this is where we also get trapped. We don't follow the quest any further. We feel like we've come back. We saw the dark side. We've had a metamorphosis. We've jumped the threshold. We've made atonement with certain things in our life. We've got to this point even, and our journey somehow stops. Just before we get to stage 11, the ultimate boon, or the ultimate boon is achieving the goal of the quest, the reason that that quest went on. For myself, I wanted this fight chemical incarceration I wanted that fight to hit mainstream that's what I was fighting for that if it got picked up and more people knew about it I would see that as a victory and if I could not only point out the injustices but also provide a solution another way out so I wasn't just bitching about what was and pointing out saying look what they're doing for me that was a quest ending hence Diving into that book, both books, for two years, writing them so quickly and then getting back into the second one, fixing it, making it better, putting that out there for me was going, offering a solution. This was kind of the goal of the quest. I started on that mission and I remember sitting in the back bedroom when uh, I had moved to New Smyrna Beach and Patricia and I were watching Last Weekend Tonight with John Oliver and they did a huge story on addiction and they actually focused on Florida and they pointed out everything I was saying on Joe Rogan three years ago. And then I see it starting to pop up in other websites. Other people were saying these things along the way. You know, Dr. Stan Peel had been saying it long before I was. But it was hit mainstream. People were waking up to it. And it's just sad that it took so many people to die along the way or be trapped in that chemical incarceration before they kind of woke up to what are we really doing here, right? Not that the drugs are the enemy either because they also help people, but yet the system and how they apply them, right? But that ultimate boom is when that is achieved, it is when the person went on the journey to get it. It's why you did it, right? All the previous steps served to prepare and purify the person for this step, to get you ready for whatever that step is. The scarecrow wanted intelligence. The lion wanted courage. And the tin man, well, wanted compassion. When they get all those, maybe you say, when I get all this, this, and this, and then I will have done it. Say, I urge you to be weary of that too. Because when you do achieve that quest or that goal, this is where it becomes comfortable. You feel like, I've, I've done that. Check. I'm good. I, I'm being treated well. And maybe I've found love. I've been through that. I crossed the threshold. I've done these things. Had the metamorphosis. We've conquered that. We've overcome our desires. Lust, greed, indifference. We got through our icebreaker. We won the battle. We got through stage fright. Maybe we started our own podcast and you're there. Now you feel like you can front anything, right? This is where you may get stagnant here in stage 12, which is the refusal to return. Having found bliss and the enlightenment, that thing you were looking for accomplished what you did. Well, I found bliss and enlightenment in this other world. You may not want to return to the ordinary world and share your treasure, share your wisdom onto your fellow person. You may not want to. Even though we've discovered something, we may have demons of doubts. Maybe it's all been resolved. Maybe we have a way to do that to help others. Sometimes just sharing your story with others when you return back is enough too. Your mind keeps telling you that there's other obstacles to overcome. 
but we refuse to return to the fight. We refuse possibly that next call because, well, we're comfortable now. We have achieved what we've wanted to. We have arrived, as many people say. I like to say we never arrive. There won't be a, and then everything will be okay. But wherever we've achieved to this point, we may just stop there. You know, honestly, with me, it's been difficult really sitting down to write out Athlete's Depression because I that journey was hell. It was a lobotomy trying to write both of those books. I mean, I, I sacrificed a lot. A lot of things hurt, and I get nervous about going back through that cycle again, back through those trials along the way. But I do have a lot of information I've learned that I want to share with athletes that may be experiencing things. But I go back and forth. Maybe you do that in your own life. The refusal to return. Maybe again you were on that epic journey adventure and you found love, you got sidetracked for a minute, got back on it, accomplished what you wanted to, and I'm here now and I don't want to go back or take the magic flight, which is stage 13 of Joseph's hero's journey. Sometimes you must escape with the treasure, that thing that you've learned. You have to escape. You have to get back fast before you get injured or you lose something or get killed, right? Jack climbed to the beanstalk and stole the giant's treasures, right? Now he's got to get back. Obi-Wan Kenobi gave Luke Skywalker the lightsaber. Dumbo had a feather. There's something that the gods have been jealously guarding. You have to escape with that information. A lot of times this adventure goes into the subconscious. Not necessarily just a physical place we go. We go deep into our subconscious and we return with wisdom. Perhaps the psychedelic adventure I was on at the Joshua Tree, I returned back with that line I told you in the beginning of this. That thing, that information, that something that came out of nowhere. Stage 14 is rescue from without. Sometimes... We may need powerful guides and rescuers to bring us back to everyday life. More than likely, it's an emotional wound. We may succumb to recidivism or depression or negative attitudes. The mentor comes to the rescue. For me, Leo was one of those mentors in my life. He kept me guided and focused. My mom has been one of those mentors. I talk about it in my book, it doesn't have to be physically in your life. In the world we live in today, you can have virtual mentors, people you never meet, and they have an effect on your life. But I believe we all need guides, maybe even rescuers from time to time. At the time of me kind of losing it, Leo was standing next to me saying, okay, say it like this. Try to say it like this. Deliver it like this. Remember along the way this. Hence, I quoted Leo so often in my book with all his Leoisms, right? Who's been your mentor, your virtual mentor, as I write about my book, right? Who's been somebody that pulled you to the other side? It may be your other half. I mean, Patricia's even weighed in in my life a few times when she says something and kind of pulls me back from the edge or pulls me back from feeling like, well, you're all comfortable now. You, No, you got to get back out there. Those mentors come to our rescue. And again, they can be virtual people you've read. It can be authors. It can be podcasters, your, your grandma, anybody, right? Maybe even something you witnessed. Again, that something witnessed can be that something that taught you something. You watched somebody else's life along the way. That mentor, more than likely, and as I'm talking about these, I know you can picture every single movie you think about where they, well, the Obi-Wan shows up, right? Where that wise person, that Gandalf appears. 
tells you, don't do that. When the time comes, use this, pull it out and throw it up in the air and, well, when? When do I do? You'll know when the time, right? Something like that. They give you that one quote. Maybe you have a quote of somebody that you use before you move into stage 15, the crossing of the return threshold. The trick in returning is to retain the wisdom gained on the quest, to integrate that wisdom into our lives and to share it with the rest of the world. For me, that's why I have put down this podcast in my mind 15 times. And if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me almost almost went out. I almost went out on the Fight Life, episode 204, 205. I was done. I, I was, I've been beaten up by it. I have other things I was trying to do. I mean, I'm not making money on this podcast, right? I'm not uh, balling out of control is one of my jokes as I dumped a bunch of pennies on the counter, right? Nor am I having a podcast telling you how to ball out of control and make a whole bunch of money. Perhaps why... You stop listening, right? <laughs> but there's so many times I thought about putting it down. Patricia will shake her head at me and go, mm-hmm, again? Right? Kick me back in. Steve had to deal with it along the whole way. Big shout-out to you, Steve Stone. You know, and say, okay, okay. I, I, I bet next week I'm going, i got to do a podcast. I have to talk. I have to share this. I Whatever it is, that returning, that return to the threshold, the place we crossed years ago, when we decided to follow the call and cross that threshold, it's coming back to the threshold, back across the other way, to turn to turn back into our ordinary life, if you will, to settle and to use that wisdom. Now, it may be the ordinary world again, but you're not the same person. A master of two worlds in stage 16, from human to hero, if you will. It, it may mean achieving a balance between the material and the spiritual. Maybe you had to reach inside. Like again, this could be subconsciously what we're facing inwardly about ourselves and our subconscious, right? That we reach inside to discover our inner resources that, well, maybe we didn't realize were there until we went through it. This is referencing back those trials and tribulations, things you went through that you possibly thought I could never get through. Or if that was ever me, maybe one day you said, God, if that's ever me, just do this or that. And next thing you know, you're there and you're having to get through that resources you had the whole time but could not come to fruition until you experience that right you realize that there's not just the outer world that you're living in right not just the social constructs of what you've been witnessing but this internal life but when you move to stage 16 in this hero journey of your life the master of two worlds you realize you can live in both worlds and do that more fully now stage seven stage 17 is the freedom to live Mastery leads to the freedom from fear of failure, which in turn is the freedom to live. This is sometimes referred to as living in the moment, neither anticipating the future nor regretting the past. Can you live in the now? Returning back, waiting for that next call, waiting to see what's next. It's hard to live in that unknown and for me, it's hard to live in the ordinary, whatever that may be as well. It's subjective to itself. But as we've covered those stages, I wanted you to think about your own life. What stage of that hero's journey are you on? Are you still waiting for a call? Maybe you tapped out not long ago. Maybe other things is just what you're supposed to do. How many times in your life have you said, well, I just can't do that now? I keep referencing marriage, 
kids, divorce, buy a house, something, when you follow the constructs of told what you're supposed to do, why you just can't anymore. I had an opportunity, or are you still sitting around talking about when you were the hero 25 years ago? It's not about what you've done, it's about what you're doing. Are you living that epic hero's journey? Are you living your Iliad and the Odyssey? I bet you have trials every day, but so many times the trials that we're caught up in in the day-to-day are just, just the surface. They're just the surface of really just because you're in the wrong world. You're not following that dream or the fears are holding you back too far. So you get to experience all the asteroids on the outer level, if you will, constantly bobbing and weaving from those that you're not deep enough in your own life, your own subconscious, to really get with the root of what's causing all of those small asteroids, really. All of those small trials that are being thrown at you that you conquer day to day to day, looking somehow to find these little moments of happiness in this mundane, ordinary life that you know you didn't want to be living, but now you have to, right? Because this is just what you're supposed to do. Think about your life at the end for a moment, if it were to end in three days. What would you do? If someone told you you have three days to live, what would you do? Most people would say, I'd spend time with the ones I love. That's it. You just hang out with them. Let's assume all your affairs were in order and you didn't have to do all the things in the social constructs of worlds to keep everybody safe. Double check your life insurance. Let's assume all that's done. Maybe they just maybe they give you a month to live. Maybe six months to live. And you were going to be in fine health the whole time. What would you do? What would you be doing? And then add that to what are you doing now? Are you doing now what you would do in those six months if you had six months to live? Yeah, yeah, Adam, but it's, it's a different story. Is it? Is it? That's when that rationalization, those dragons, those demons, that fear of why you can't. But if you had six months to live without question, you said, this is exactly what I would be doing. This is the chance that I would be taking. But we have to keep that illusion of safe, right? We have to continue to do what we're told we're supposed to do by ourselves. We tell ourselves, by the way, what we're supposed to do. And those supposed to do's come from what we've witnessed, our culture, our environment, our parents, the people we've looked up to, the people we look down upon, the people we say, I don't ever want to become. This is what holds us back. This is how we continue to refuse the call. And say that we have freedom to live. Are you the master of two worlds? Have you fully discovered yourself? I'm not so sure we ever reach self-actualization. I think Maslow, the creator of that hierarchy, would agree with me that it's rare that we do, much less if anyone does, I would question their humility to say that they have. I certainly have not. I discover new about myself each time with each journey, and I find where I can take my adventure. And for me, I find my adventures and following my ideas and taking chances. And I'll tell you what, by the time I'm 65, if I live that long, more than likely, um, I'm not going to be okay. And that's a fear I live with. But I cross the threshold anyway. Stay on that journey. Accept the next call. And be open to whatever that call may be. Stop trying to match the call to your resume. Jesus Stop trying to match the call to what you're good at. 
go through the trials, go through the tribulations to forge new talents, to forge new things that you can do. Fight those dragons, fight through those demons and fears and become the master of two worlds and the freedom to live. Go through that again. Take the call to adventure. Sometimes that call to adventure again is not so bright. It can be a terrible, terrible storm that you get caught up in. Again, something you witness, something you've been through. That call can be the call to, ad- to an adventure. That adventure is not to have to be this rosy colored thing that is just amazing where you have this sign and you follow this adventure and it's just been one great life on the open road because I tell you speaking from this this side it is not always pretty and matter of fact it's pretty dark because after you follow that call toward your adventure or if you're thinking about that call you got a million reasons to refuse that call you got a million reasons to refuse the supernatural aid or the something that happened, again, it's not directly supernatural aid, the coincidence, you may call it, that saved your life for a friend that you witnessed. You may refuse all that, and that's okay. It's part of the journey. That call can come back again. You can stand at the crossing of that first threshold again and take that leap to push it, to test your limits, right? To go beyond, to go into the darkness, to go into the unknown, to take on the danger. You can find yourself in that uncomfortability, in that belly of the whale. You can allow that metamorphosis to begin, but that metamorphosis will not begin until you cross that threshold, until you're willing to step across. And you got to know, like I said, when you step across that and follow that call and you go down to it, those roads of trials are coming. It's coming. The yellow brick road, I promise, awaits you. You remember, it wasn't all nice for them. Those series of tests that may last a while. This is where it's terrifying. You're facing that biggest fear of your life. Maybe you'll get lucky and meet the goddess. Or the god. Or that thing that tempts you, that makes you feel good. But know the difference between the two. Know how to separate those. For me, knowing that difference is one's pulling off, pulling you off of your path and another one is keeping you on that path. Be careful. But if you do veer off the path, if you are tempted away from something, from perhaps even the great life you're living, maybe the life you're leading right now is everything you wanted because, well, that's what someone said you're supposed to have. Maybe you got the house, the two and a half kids, the job's coming in, things are all right, you take the vacation, everything's fine. Maybe even you work out, maybe you're putting on a little weight, whatever it is. Maybe you're just fine with where you're sitting. Does that mean that your journey is over? Have you reached the destiny or have you manifested your destiny to be that of your kid's future? Because I promise when your kids get older, they're going to look at you and go, what? You think I can't go down this road without you? Because they have to then test themselves. And then what will be your journey? Then what will be your journey when that is gone? When we attach our journeys to other people, we have to be careful. Can you atone with the thing that has run your life at that point? Once that happens, can you atone with those feelings, those thoughts, those incidences that passed can you atone with that parent if you will can you face death can you look at the pain that it causes you and maybe you do maybe you have and again maybe you've reached that rank of a god where you're treated like you are divine by those around you maybe you have tons of employees that work for you family that loves you friends that are around they can't wait for you to be around Maybe you've won it all, if you will. 
Maybe you've come back to life. Maybe you've went through this trial and tribulations and you've somewhat been dead, but now you've rose again and here you are and you've changed your life and you've made it and you're there. Do you stop there? Once that ultimate boon has been achieved, once the goal of the quest has been met, do you just stop there? That's self-serving if you ask me. Do you step out and give it to the rest? Do you share it with everyone else? Because what you've been through previously may have gotten you to a point, but also should let you know that I can confront any challenge, that I can take on something else, I can follow another call. Or do you refuse the return, being in the life you're in? Or do you choose to test yourself again and again and again? Do you take that magic flight home and escape back to the threshold you crossed and share that wisdom, what you've learned? Do you give it to other people? Perhaps you were rescued on that journey. Perhaps there's mentors in your life. Perhaps maybe you can be a mentor now to other people. Perhaps you can be that that comes to rescue others. Maybe this then becomes your next phase of the journey where you then return to that same threshold but perhaps maybe helping other people cross that threshold to take the red or the blue pill. Maybe you become Morpheus and help train and find the one. Are you willing to become a master of two worlds? The illusion or delusion of safety and security of what that may be and that illusion of what the world has told you you're supposed to be that you truly believe has been your full idea or that adventure that awaits you that unknown world with no rules and the anything can happen I think so many people love nature and going out into it because it truly is the unknown of what can happen I theorize that people flock to the beach Many of us do and walk the edge of it because it's the edge of what we know and the edge of the unknown. If you really think about it, we're laying on a desert, if you will, staring at salty water. That seem like heaven to you? For many it does, for me it does. But if you look at it for what it is, it's a barren landscape. But why are we attracted there? Why do we sit and stare out at the unknown? That is the edge that we walk, the master of two worlds for a moment as we walk down the beach pondering what we don't know, where there's aliens and ghastly monsters down deep and sharks, right? That is the ocean, the unknown of where it goes that stretches more than we have land. But yet here we are able to walk on the edge of it and look to the left or the right, depending on which way you're walking, of what we know, what we've constructed, what we know exists out there, and what we don't know exists out there. Searching, I think, and thinking about being the master of two worlds, metaphorically and behaviorally, in our walk. Perhaps that's where the freedom to live lies. Perhaps that's where it's at, walking that edge. Maybe that's why those that do love the beach, or those that love the mountains, or stare at the cliffs, or whatever it is you find yourself. Perhaps that freedom to live, or it feels like we have freedom sitting there because we are on the edge of two worlds feeling we can master our own fear of failure and master our fears. Once you know how to die, then you know how to truly live. No longer anticipating the future, nor regretting the past. 
I hope your hero's journey never stops. I hope it continues. I hope you continue to heed the call when you see it and follow it. But don't get too hard on yourself if you've moved to the left of it or you forget or you get sidetracked. It happens to every hero. It's whether you'll get back and whether you'll give back from your hero's journey. Because I promise you, your life is that of a hero's journey. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage and living and sharing your hero's journeys with others. Love you.